Long Box of Darkness, Prelude to Episode 13, Alan Moore's The Courtyard. Greetings, constant listeners. Thank you for tuning in once again to the Long Box of Darkness. Now, this episode will be a prelude to the next full-length episode, which is episode 13, which will, in fact, feature another guest. I've managed to get someone who's well-versed in the horror genre, definitely in all aspects of horror, and I'm sure that will make for a great listen. But... To get into today's subject matter, we'll be talking about Alan Moore's The Courtyard, and this will serve as our inroads to what I will be discussing, um, also an Alan Moore-related work. If you're a fan of Moore's stuff, you'll probably know which work that's going to be, since this is The Courtyard. We'll be talking about Neonomicon. It will effectively be the sequel to The Courtyard, a sequel of sorts, really. So. What is Alan Moore's The Courtyard? Well, basically, we know that Alan Moore has his finger in lots of different thematic pies, so to speak. He loves to dabble in uh, horror, especially when he does comics, but also in science fiction and even the odd bit of superhero comedy, as he did in Top Ten for America's Best Comic Line. He can write everything, really, drama, uh, superheroes... Um, but I'm especially fond of his horror stuff. He's probably my favorite writer of all time. So this is the first Alan Moore work that I will be discussing on the show. And it's also the first time that Alan Moore tackled the Cthulhu mythos, which he is a fan of. He loves H.P. Lovecraft. And he's since gone on to write a lot of Lovecraft-related works, which we'll get to in the future. But today, it's this one in particular. Now... This is his first Lovecraftian comic book, but he has, in fact, published some short stories for the Cthulhu Mythos, or I should say based on the Cthulhu Mythos, in the um, mid-1990s. Specifically, um, some prose short stories he wrote uh, for an anthology. And um, this story, The Courtyard, is actually adapted from a short story of his, also entitled The Courtyard, 
um, and it was published in 2003 by Avatar Press with art by Jason Burroughs and it was adapted into comic book form by Anthony Johnson. Now the original short story first appeared in an anthology called Starry Wisdom, a tribute to H.P. Lovecraft and that's from Creation Books in 1995 and that's where Johnson got it from and eventually adapted it with Alan Moore being the, so, the de facto editor at that point. He um, supervised the story and made sure all the beats were right and so forth. But he eventually was happy with the finished product and Avatar published the collection in 2003 and it has been critically acclaimed by lots of comic scholars and readers alike. Um, not least of all me. I love this tale of um, the Cthulhu mythos, the courtyard. It's one of my favorite short, shorter Alan Moore works, I should say. But the sequel that I'm going to be talking about next week is in fact my least favorite of all Alan Moore's works. But I think I needed to discuss it. So far, I've only been discussing the things I love on the show. Um, there is something about Moore's work which troubles some of the readers, and that is his portrayal of sexual acts and his um, inclusion of those in his horror. Now, you know, I am a fan of all kinds of horror. Um, I do enjoy, you know, horrific scenes that are included for a purpose. But if it's something gratuitous, if it's something that for me feels that only satisfied some perverted sense among, you know, certain readers, then I would say that has no place in comic books. But, you know, that's just my opinion. That's the reason why the second work in Alan Moore's Cthulhu uh, cycle won't really appeal to me, but might appeal to others. And I don't begrudge anybody for that. But uh, Alan Moore does have this tendency to portray scenes of sexual violence. Um, in almost all of his works. It goes way back to Miracle Man, what he did on Swamp Thing. Um, in case Swamp Thing fans wonder what I'm referring to, I'm referring to this, the scene where Swamp Thing gets violated in space by an alien uh, sentient spacecraft that has uh, kidnapped him and holds him against his will. And um, also, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen contains, contains multiple scenes of um, violence perpetrated in a um, sexual manner. Also, uh, not so much Promethea, but there are those overtones in Promethea. Um, Smacks, the spin-off of the ABC comic series Top Ten, has that as well. And um, also... Of course, um, Alan Moore's Lovecraftian works features that. Uh, Providence has a number of them. But in Providence, they sort of serve a purpose. In the second book we're going to be discussing um, in this Alan Moore's Lovecraftian cycle, um, I found it distasteful. But I think we need to talk about it, so uh, we'll get into that next week along with my guest, whom I expressly picked for this purpose because she's very good at picking things apart, especially when I'm at a loss for words to say about a certain topic. Also, when I feel it's not appropriate for me to speak on this topic, 
this lady that I've uh, managed to flag for uh, our next episode. She's very good at handling those kind of situations. <laughs> All right, but let's get into what we're going to be talking about today. Alan Moore's The Courtyard. The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little, but some day the piecing together of dissociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality and of our frightful position therein that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. Theosophists have guessed at the awesome grandeur of the cosmic cycle wherein our world and human race form transient incidents. They have hinted at strange survivals in terms which would freeze the blood if not masked by a bland optimism. But it is not from them that there came the single glimpse of forbidden eons which chills me when I think of it and maddens me when I dream of it. That glimpse, like all dread glimpses of truth, flashed out from an accidental piecing together of separated things, in this case an old newspaper item and the notes of a dead professor. I hope that no one else will accomplish this piecing out, Certainly, if I live, I shall never knowingly supply a link in so hideous a chain. That excerpt is from H.B. Lovecraft's Call of Cthulhu, and it's very pertinent because in this story, The Courtyard, the main character, one Aldo Sachs, is an FBI agent who invented a form of detection called anomaly theory. Now, what anomaly theory entails is the random piecing together of disparate things, disparate facts, things that don't fit together, that don't make sense. And the more of these that you collect and look at, the more a pattern emerges that leads you to the culprit or um, the heart of the matter. So Aldo Sachs has had a fair bit of success using this theory of his to capture criminals, to track down murderers, especially serial killers. And our story starts off in Red Hook, New York, where Aldo is undercover, staying in a run-down tenement, an apartment building filled with junkies and the insane. It's filthy and squalid. But, you know, he takes it all in stride. He's done this before. He's very studious in his investigations, almost a perfectionist of sorts. And the murders that he's investigating are three people who had absolutely no relation, all killed in exactly the same way by three individuals who also have no relation to each other. The murderers absolutely never encountered each other. They don't know each other. They don't uh, walk in the same circles. But they seem to have perpetrated the exact same crime, killing their victims by splaying them open like flowers, uh, like petals of a tulip, really, uh, creating these artistic forms of macabre death in their wake. So Aldo has been assigned by the FBI to apply his anomaly theory to 
solve this case because none of the other uh, heads of the FBI can make sense of what's happening here. So Aldo's in Red Hook where he's tracked down some of the facts and have in fact used anomaly theory to determine that the heart of this investigation lies in a club called Club Zothique where um, Lovecraftian inspired bands play particularly one band that he's interested in called the Ulthar Cats which seems to be the link between these three murderers and Aldo's intent on you know visiting the club um, again undercover pretending that he's uh, someone interested in the music of the Ulthar Cats and also in a drug which seems to link all the uh, murderers as well a drug called Aklo at least at this point in time of the story he thinks it's a drug it, in fact it turns out to be something completely different later on so he goes to the c club Zothique and um, he's determined that he needs to speak to a dealer in Aklo called Johnny Carcosa so he inquires about Carcosa and eventually finds him. And Carcosa turns out to be this dandy of sorts with this veil of chiffon silk covering his face. Um, his entire nose and mouth is constantly obscured by this veil. And he seems to be speaking in a lisp. With a lisp, he has a speech uh, deficiency. He can't uh, quite express himself clearly, so Johnny... Um, turns out to be a bit of a, a problem for the readers because Moore does not shy away from uh, writing a Johnny as speaking with the worst lisp any literary or, or character of fiction has ever had. So you kind of has, have to puzzle out what Johnny's saying, but it's kind of fun doing that when you get it eventually. But Johnny says he will, in fact, provide some aclo to Agent Sachs and um, all throughout this meeting, Aldo hears the lyrics and the songs being brayed by this band, the Ulthar Cats, and it's in a language he's never heard before. For him, it's gibberish. He doesn't know that this language is pivotal to the story at this point in time. So we don't know that either. We just know this language from H.P. Lovecraft's works now, Aklo, the language itself, was first introduced by the writer Arthur Mackin in his story, The White People. And Lovecraft, obviously, having been a fan of Mackin, appropriated this language and used it in his stories, uh, most particularly The Dunwich Horror and The Haunter of the Dark. And since then, Aklo has been used by many writers. But as it turns out, um, this language of Aklo itself is the reason why. Uh, these murders have been committed. It is at the center of Aldo Sachs's investigation. But at this point in the story, he's still thinking that it's a drug of some sort, whereas it's actually a thought form, a type of verbal virus that infects the mind and changes you into some kind of illuminated being, at least in the um, descriptions of Carcosa himself. Of course, for us, it would just be an insane person was suddenly been driven to a suicidal and uh, mad rampage. But 
uh, Aldo Sachs continues his investigations. Um, he agrees to meet with Carcosa at his apartment building. And then um, the story runs its course. Basically what happens is Aldo Sachs shows up in front of this gate, which leads to this courtyard. And what the wall on the to the right of the courtyard has been painted and there's this mural on on this wall which portrays this creature which looks like it could be some kind of a tree covered in wisp wrappings or spider webs but it's definitely in the form of some type of uh, humanoid like creature and as Aldo walks through this dilapidated and um, dirty courtyard towards Johnny Carcosa's apartment, um, we get the sense as readers that this is where he's entering into the unknown, um, into danger, but also he's opening some corridors of his mind, which has heretofore been closed to him. And he goes up, meets Johnny Carcosa in his apartment and gets to meet Carcosa's mother who's this troglodyte type of woman, this old inhuman looking creature who speaks only in Aklo to Johnny Carcosa. Now, <clears throat> earlier before coming to meet uh, Johnny um, to get the Aklo from him, um, Aldo received some communication from his FBI director, Perlman, uh, a man whom he despises. In fact, per Perlman also hates Aldo Sachs because he calls Aldo a racist of sorts, a Nazi, <laughs> and Aldo is in fact a racist, and his racism sort of mirrors the um, overt racism of H.P. Lovecraft, especially in stories like the horror from Red Hook, and Red Hook is the setting for this tale, so the racism sort of links to Lovecraft's tale, and um, we're definitely introduced to Sachs as a racist because in the first part of the comic he calls um, some African-American folk spear chuckers so yeah he's t a type of reprehensible character you can't really um, like him you get to like him throughout the story but you know he is the main character the person that Alan Moore chose to tell the story through so what happens is um, up in Johnny Carcosa's room where the deal is going to be done uh, Aldo sees some uh, prints on the wall, some sketches and paintings by an artist called Pickman. And in fact, earlier in the club, Johnny Carcoso tried to sell him uh, one of Pickman's prints. Now, Pickman, um, for you Lovecraft aficionados, you might remember him being the artist from the story Pickman's Model, where um, he drew these horrific scenes featuring these terrifying subterranean and inhuman creatures. Everybody thought it's only figments of his imagination. But in fact, they were drawn from life <laughs> in the story. So um, these are the prints that Johnny tries to um, sell to Aldo Sachs. But Aldo refuses. He's only interested in the Aklo. And at first, Johnny gives him the white powder, which he's familiar with, a common kind of drug used in Club Sothic. But um, he's upset and he says, no, no, I want the Aklo. And then Johnny says, yes, to get the Aklo, you first have to use the white powder. Otherwise, Aklo won't have an effect. And as it turns out, this white powder sort of primes your mind 
for the invasion of um, Aklo as a thought form because as soon as Aldo takes the drugs and he says himself he's no stranger to taking drugs in the line of duty he's done this before undercover as soon as he's high Johnny starts to whisper these three phrases in his ear and the first phrase um, that Johnny whispers is Wazaye, which sort of uh, starts this process of brainwashing or <clears throat> this epiphany and the art of Burroughs really shines in these panels where we see in Aldo's mind's eye what's happening there's a rendition of uh, da Vinci's Vitruvian Man which is Aldo himself being splayed open by this tentacled cosmic monstrosity and his face is this um, starfish shaped hole and these energy lines are running out from his intestines and he's on this um, the platform or it's actually the cobbles from the courtyard outside uh, Johnny Carcosa's apartment but these uh, courtyard flagstones or whatever they are are falling away from beneath um, Aldo's feet signaling that he's lost to his uh, prior self and then you've got the second word that uh, is whispered in his ear by Carcosa do na and then we see this image of an eye with tentacles growing out from it stuck in this tunnel that's surrounded by sharp serrated teeth and these zombie-like hands reaching out from the walls and this eyes looking at this teeth and hands and it's um, surrounded by veins and then um, the final word your nerger which sort of shows Aldo the future um, all of the great old ones basically show up in his mind and he's tumbling headlong into a star-shaped sun and there's this planet of flesh uh, Cthulhu himself deep ones tentacled monstrosities one-eyed cyclopean behemoths um, a headless torso with mouths uh, snapping from the torso's palms pointed towards the reader it's uh, hideous scenes but brilliantly drawn by Jason Burroughs and there's this image of Aldo himself gazing out over these mountains presumably the mountains of madness which he's now experiencing in um, he's been cut in this weird pattern and this blood running from these cuts to his forehead and face and and uh, jawline and it's bleeding profusely but these cuts, cuts look like they're oozing lava wow Jason Burroughs what an artist and then that's the final word the epiphany has been experienced Johnny Carcosa lets Aldo Sachs go and all throughout this experience Sachs is thinking you know what has happened to him and he realizes that what he's experienced is some type of evolution intellectual evolution as he walks down the staircase leaves Johnny Carcosa's apartment sees the fireworks in the distance he goes to his apartment and then subsequently murders his uh, next-door neighbor who is this uh, junkie called Germain 
and what he does is he cuts her open and splays her open like a, a grotesque flesh tulip and um, while he's doing this his thoughts are slowly changing from English into Aklo um, but it's very uh, sort of revelatory when you read what he says he sort of explains his his reason for murdering her he says that all events are time roses the clenched fuck uncrumpling into a life as the species folds back to Aniliden ancestors and there lies your dona a meaning bestowed retroactively by forms as yet unachieved but implicit and then he goes on to say I see that the Loigor are simply ourselves yet unfolded in time to an utter condition beyond the photogon of our usual perceptions time being a function of matter this freeing of ultimate forms may be hastened by pertinent sculpture so of course this doesn't make sense upon your first read through but I've studied this passage uh, for a long time ever since I first read it and basically this explains Aldo's madness when he starts to kill his next-door neighbor Germain what he's doing is he has seen that there are some forces some life forms that have to come into being but they already exist in our subconscious minds and in our dreams and in our nightmares and eventually they will enter the physical realm but we can well Aldo can in this case hasten their coming by unfolding the flesh because our fleshy forms are basically crumpled up versions of our true selves we've been stunted by time but this effect can be negated by you know in Aldo's words sculpture um, because time being a function of matter if you change the basic forms of matter if you unfold them to bring about you know the hastening of time you can uh, sort of create these gateways for the great old ones to enter so he does this he in fact experiments on his neighbor Germain and uh, kills her and that leads to Aldo's arrest and his incarceration but they don't show this in the comic the comic just ends with Aldo operating on Germain and his clothes becoming increasingly more blood splattered and then it ends in darkness with a final word in Aklo Fetagen which we're not quite sure what it means but it could mean uh, meaning or reason and then the final image of the comic is this courtyard the gate leading to the courtyard of uh, Carcosa's apartment which the gate standing ajar um, leads us to think that this means that Aldo's mind has now been opened but that is not the only thing that has been opened the gates have been opened to the realm of nightmares which is now going to invade our physical world and that is in fact what does happen later on in the series I mean in Alan Moore's cycle of Cthulhu stories this being the first the courtyard the second one obviously we'll discuss in episode 13 in detail but um, the fourth one Providence is still quite uh, ways off in the, into the future um, that's gonna take a lot of episodes to discuss because it's so dense and um, so layered 
but that brings us to the end of the core chart. Before I sign off though, I do have to mention if you're interested in reading this comic book, picking it up, you can find it on Comixology. They've got the uh, colorized version. Um, I've been reading it in the original black and white paperback. It was printed in 2003 by Avatar. But you can also uh, pick up the companion if you find yourself lost. Um, I think if you're a fan of H.P. Lovecraft, though, it should be fairly easy to pick up all the references. There are some references that are not particularly Lovecraft-related. For instance, Johnny Carcosa, uh, his name is derived from uh, the Carcosa mythos, which is linked to the Cthulhu mythos. Of course, Carcosa being a city. And this was first introduced by Ambrose Bierce in his story An Inhabitant of Carcosa. And this was way back, way back in 1886. But obviously Lovecraft also read Bierce. And um, then Robert W. Chambers used Carcosa in his stories uh, The King in Yellow in 1895. And uh, Lovecraft read him and then incorporated all of that in his Cthulhu mythos. And then, of course, you've got other, you know, references to the Cthulhu mythos or people who have made use of Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythos. Um, the club Zothique being derived from a story by Clark Ashton Smith, or stories, I should say. He wrote many stories um, talking about Zothique. In, in fact, it's a cycle, the Zothique cycle. And, uh, you know, then there's numerous other references. Of course, um, the shadow over Innsmouth is referenced by Carcosa when he says he wants to sell a cock ring from Innsmouth to Aldo Sachs. Yeah, and, and Johnny Carcosa is, in fact, the peddler of not just uh, Pickman's prints and of the white powder, but also of Lovecraftian sex toys. <laughs> And then, you know, the lyrics itself, which of the Uthar cats that feature, you know, lots of the names of the great old ones. And the Uthar cats themselves, uh, the name of the band is based on Lovecraft's story, The Cats of Uthar. And one of their song titles, Zan Variations, uh, features the, the music of Eric Zan, uh, or references that story. And then, of course, you have... Um, the great old ones themselves, Tsathogua, um, Yagonalak, and Cthulhu being referenced many times throughout this tale. And of course the setting itself being Red Hook, which harkens back to Lovecraft's story, The Horror in Red Hook. So all of this ties nicely together, especially once you've read uh, the second uh, in Moore's cycle and then the third, which is Providence. But we'll get more into that in our next full-length episode, which you can expect to drop on Friday. But um, that's it for me. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this prelude uh, episode of The Long Box of Darkness. If you want to reach me with any feedback, please do so. You can send mail to darklongbox at gmail.com or contact me on Twitter at darklongbox. And please check out the blog at www.longboxofdarkness.com. And with that, it's good night for me. And pleasant screams, dear listeners. Pleasant screams. <laughs>